Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan position and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey, listeners. How are we doing? So before we introduce our guest, I wanted to just get started with... Uh, so last weekend, I went to the Oregon Republican Party Central Meeting. Uh, we'll call it our ORP from now on, so I don't have to keep saying Oregon Republican Party. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me was, so I was in the back as a guest, a non-voting member. I'm not that special, but I got to sit You're directly behind. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> got to sit directly behind Sam Carpenter, who was the challenger running for the ORP chair seat against Bill Courier, who was the incumbent. One of the things that Sam had been doing over the last several months is sending out these sort of inflammatory emails to all of the PCPs in Oregon, so precinct committee people, the the lowest level of voting persons in the party. And they were very inflammatory. For la- that's, I already said that, but <laughs> for lack of a better term, pretty inflammatory emails. So I had a pretty negative opinion of Sam going into this. And sort of sitting behind him during the course of the day and watching him interact with his wife and with his team in sort of a less political, less crazy atmosphere. I, I didn't, I didn't hate him. <laughs> uh, I didn't, uh, I kind of saw him as a human and, and I still think he was the wrong choice for the party. And, and so he lost, uh, Bill Couriers is now the, is still the chair. Uh, we, st- I, I, I just it sort of humanized him, and I was less I was less upset with with him just in general, and I think that's kind of one of the things that I I wish more people would do is try to humanize people and look at them rather than just being their flamboyant personalities. Do you think um, listeners do that with us, or they just feel have, us as flamboyant personalities? I don't know. We're probably pretty flamboyant. <laughs> um, anyway, I just want to take a couple minutes and talk about that. So. Our guest today is Justine Hostetler. I yes. get that right? Yes, good job. And uh, Justine and I, I met her at church. We volunteered together. Mm-hmm. And I think she, we're really excited to have you here as our very first guest. Yeah, thank you. It's a big right. honor, actually. So why don't you go ahead and introduce what we're, what we're talking about? Sure. So um, a topic that has been really kind of on my heart and mind going into election and looking past as well, and just current events in general, is that of disinformation, misinformation, and fake news. Fake news is probably the term that most people are familiar with when mm-hmm. they think about different kinds of news that are actually fake. So it's a false kind of idea that's being spread around. But if we're actually looking at the terms, it's really important, I think, to differentiate between each one of them so we actually know what we're talking about because language is powerful. Sure. So with disinformation, kind of attach dis as deliberately incorrect. So disinformation is false information. It's usually purposefully spread to deceive or mislead people. And it's usually associated with propaganda or big social media, such as Facebook is kind of the biggest one that would come to mind. So if I... If I knew that James had a head cold and he had been in bed all day. And I said, James, you'll never believe it. The sky turned purple. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not true, but he doesn't know that that's not true. I'm intentionally being, you know, lying, essentially. That would be an example. Exactly. Yes. Because you're purposefully distributing information that is factually incorrect. 
Mm-hmm. However, if it's misinformation, it might be if you actually think that the sky changed color because someone else told you that, and then you're telling James. So that's where it kind of changes. Maybe we partook in a little too much of like Oregon special crops <laughs> or something. You know, you know. I really think it's purple. No, no guys, it's purple. <laughs> dude, it's actually purple. I've seen it. Exactly, and that's where miss. It starts with miss misinformation, and so it can be a mistaken spread of mm-hmm. incorrect information. Now, disinformation just to make it really clear, is often spread through misinformation. So misinformation is often the channel which disinformation gets spread by. So you might have a disinformation firm hailing from maybe Russia or the Middle East that targets U.S. citizens. U.S. citizens then believe that disinformation and spread it, causing misinformation. Okay. Okay. And now let's actually talk about some fake news. This is when it gets like really interesting. So fake news are false news stories, often of a sensational nature, created to be widely distributed for the purpose of generating revenue or discrediting a public figure, political movement, company, etc. And it's frequently used specifically to damage an agency, entity, or person. And on top of that, a big thing about the definition as well is fake news can be attributed to something that is true or false, depending on the perception's view. So to boil that down a little bit, um, fake news is someone's perception. It's not necessarily what is actually correct or false. So if I say I'm a prominent political figure. So basically fake news can be something you disagree with. Exactly. Whether or not it's true, if I disagree with it, I can label it false fake news and that's... Right. Okay. And really this term has come about with Trump's presidency. He's the one that's really kind of coined it and made Mm -hmm. it popular. And so the way that we're defining it is the way off of it being used and rising to prominence, which is literally if there's an article that comes out true or false, you can label it fake news if you disagree with it. Which is a pretty big issue. And as you can see, that's pretty different from disinformation or misinformation, which both really hinge on that idea of it actually being factually incorrect, not just being something you don't like. Right. So how would you define the Covington Catholic school case, which we looked at a little bit in preparation for this, um, where you have a factually correct video, there's nothing doctored about the video, that was promoted out of context where, where would something like that fall? So again, it kind of depends on intent. Okay. So if someone was promoting it out of context purposefully to deceive someone else, then it'd be disinformation. If it was promoted on accident in order, like it's promoting information, but they don't know if it's true or not, and it can be whether they are intending it or not. So even though it was totally factually correct, just presented out of context, mm-hmm. can still fall into, into one of these categories? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And it could also fall into fake news if you just think that it's not true. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <All> so <laughs> that's how things can get so it twisted and so muddled. Things, yeah. Exactly. So it can fall into any one of them. So there's a couple different ways we can go from here. We could either talk about kind of Trump's tweets that have talked about fake news and analyze how those have been harmful. We could also well, go into... We talked a little bit about Myanmar. Why don't Myanmar, we, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I was okay. going to say. Yes. We could go into <laughs> Way Myanmar. Way to jump the gun, James. Yeah. I know. Sorry. Yeah. We did prepare for this, I promise. Yes, we did. We actually did. <laughs> so a lot of people ask kind of what's the big deal? Like, mm-hmm. okay, if we're believing stuff that's false and it's political, all right, it might be not true and we might think some things aren't real, but how does it really truly affect like our political schema and how we believe? What are the mm-hmm. real consequences of it? And the truth is the consequences are really huge. And the biggest one that I can think of is literal genocide. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not saying that just be like, wow, look how bad it can be. But like this actually happened because of disinformation and misinformation as well. So this was disinformation propagated by the government. Actually, it originally started, though, as a grassroots movement, more from um, people who are actually trying to perpetuate a completely false view of the Muslims in Myanmar. So what first happened was a false story. So a disinformation story was spread on purpose to deceive the general public that two Muslim men had raped a Buddhist woman. Mm -hmm. So what actually had happened, though, is that none of this had happened. But because the story was so widely spread, riots immediately broke out through the country and two people died as a result in these riots. Two Rohingya Muslims, correct? Right, right. So what happened is the story of ethnic cleansing then was perpetuated on a bigger scale because the disinformation was then turned into real life. Mm -hmm. So right there, we're already seeing something that's not true, become something that's actually influencing our day-to-day life, which is a huge, actually, um, it's just a huge kind of jump from yeah. something that we're seeing on our heads to our actual actions. So, so it shows how social media has a real impact. Yeah. Just to kind of emphasize that a little bit, having having lived overseas in Afghanistan for a few years, mm-hmm. and one of my criticisms of the United States and the way that we interact with media is we're very much very self-centered when it comes to media and sort of the navel-gazy way where we care about what happens in the United States, but if it's outside of the United States, we really either don't care or don't know about it. You know, we we look at fake news and we think, oh, you know, know, Trump and the tweets. We think about Russian interference in the elections. We think about some of the racial tensions that are being stoked through, through some of this interference. And while none of those things are, are good, they're really bad, we haven't had a genocide yet. Right. <laughs> and it, a literal genocide happened through some of this false information yes. spreading. And, and it's still happening right now. Yeah, exactly. So right. anyway, just to emphasize your, your point. Right. And so when you think about the genocide that does happen, that is something that is a possibility. You said yet, right? Mm. And so those kind of tensions, those tribal tensions, like you said at the beginning, are exactly what's being perpetuated by disinformation. And when we look at that now kind of quantitatively, I'd like to give you two big statistics that are really important. The first one is that in the 2016 election, bots posted more than 3.8 million tweets during the last month of the election cycle. Yeah, wow. That is huge because not only were these 3.8 million tweets posted, but the Atlantic actually showed that fake news and false rumors reach more people, penetrate more deeply into the social network systems, and spread faster than accurate stories. Well, they're just they're 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 inflammatory. They exactly. are they make have great headlines because you can just make them up. And they cater to the algorithms as well, so mm-hmm. they're using social media against itself. Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. And it's I, we obviously can't show the listeners the graph, but the graph. That had kind of mocked just a normal tweet, just to, talking about a news story, it was just a yeah. linear increase in likes, shares, you know, reach, however you tr- choose to measure that, versus the one that was inflammatory and explicitly false, it was just blatantly false, it was exponentially more popular. It, and it stays higher And for Yeah, longer. it doesn't, the, the two don't ever meet up. The, yes. the false tweet was just fantastically more reaching and it's just like, oh, geez, that's a problem. (laughs) It's a big problem, especially when you add on to the idea that not only are there a ton of fake stories, but the top 20 news stories in the last three months of the election cycle were also from disinformation firms, not authentic journalism. 
So when we have this kind of narrative about fake news as journalists aren't doing their job and don't trust media, especially news media, that's actually not where the disinformation or misinformation is coming from. Hmm. The most popular articles are often ones that are totally fabricated and not from any kind of authentic news source whatsoever. Yeah. That, have you guys seen the – it was a – there was an article about – it was from Wired, I think it was, and they had a bot that they built and they they essentially asked it to – write out a news story and they gave it the first two sentences of a story and they had it study all kinds of just other mm-hmm. things that that get read in the news and it produced an entire news story that was just demonstrably false but when you go through and you read it it looks and feels like something that would actually show up and it's just yeah it, there's robots that can produce this stuff now you don't even need a human to sit there and like try to think of something that's like well what what words can i do that are inflammatory to get this tweet to spread like right a reason that this is kind of becoming an issue is we. I sent out the the video of Trevor Noah God talking Trevor Noah. <laughs> talking about the uh, Jesse Smollett. Trevor, Small, if you're Smollett, listening, come on the show sometime. Please do. <laughs> Jesse Smollett issue where, if you're not following Jesse Smollett, listeners, um, you should be. Basically, <laughs> yeah, he that's... paid a couple guys to beat him up in the street with MAGA hats to sort of a fake hate crime against himself. To we don't I need particularly his, note that these are two. African-American right. as well, yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So um, anyway, this this when this news story first broke, everybody jumped on it. And one of the things Trevor Noah was talking about is people look for anything that will confirm their own biases. And they once they find something like that of, oh, this gay black man was assaulted in the street at 2 o'clock in the morning by a couple of Trump supporters – they jumped on that and retweeted it, and it became this huge story until, you know, a couple weeks or I think it was a couple weeks later, uh, it came out that the whole thing was staged. And I feel like it's the same thing with the Covington Catholic case, where there was a, an you know, reaction. an immediate reaction to a couple seconds of a video out of a two-hour-long video, and they took ten seconds of it, posted it online, and people just jumped on it and. So these are both kind of issues where the left kind of took something and, and ran with it. But mm-hmm. it, it happens all the time on the right, too. Uh, this, is, this is not a partisan issue. This is, this is everybody looking for a way that, com- that confirms their biases. The one thing that has been cur- encouraging about the Jesse Small issue is how people on the uh, more liberal side have mm-hmm. also been so loud about mm-hmm. de- like totally decrying it now. For example, Trevor Noah has yeah. made so much fun of just how like how bad of a staging it was. and But but what's encouraging about that too is you got to keep in mind that we're no longer frustrated with Jesse because he just faked the crime, but also just because we're realizing this was like a terrible kind of, like he was kind Mm -hmm. of an awful person to to do this because he also totally goes against the entire idea of equality and like, Mm -hmm. hey, let's not have these things happen. So it's really frustrating as well. So to see that was actually a really great response overall. And just to back up with another statistic, kind of this idea that people are quicker to grab onto stories that advocate for their own biases. Mm -hmm. Um, One article from the NYU Center for Data Science showed that 30 to 40% of automatic basically bot created stories on Twitter or Facebook deceive ordinary users. Hmm. That's a pretty big percentage if you are being deceived by 30 to 40% of what you're seeing that's bot created. But on top of that, information disliked by the crowd has a 10 to 15% higher deception rate for both ordinary users and experts. 
Hmm. So this makes political disinformation even more radical. So basically, if you're already 30 to 40% likely to believe it, if it's something that makes you angry, you're 15 to 10 to 15% even more likely on top of that, which means about 50% of the time. That's crazy. If it's something you don't like. Yeah. So we've kind of demonstrated that there's a problem. (laughs) So so. so, uh, what do we do about it? I know you've got some conclusions in all those papers you have spread out in front of you. Sure. So... Um, What do you think? Right. And I think the biggest thing to kind of take away from all this, just before jumping totally into Mm -hmm. possible solutions, is that the more we're buying into the narrative of fake news, saying that there is fake news out there, the more we're actually trusting what strokes our ego and discounting anything that goes against it. Mm -hmm. So it makes us fact check less. So actually, the best way that we can fight disinformation is just to fact check everything you read. And that would honestly be my ground level, everyone can do this kind of solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. We have actually pretty good fact checks out there. But the idea is just to not be impulsive and not let your anger fuel your political or even just your personal stances on issues. Because that anger, specifically in a lot of the statistics here, is what causes people to stroke their own ego, Mm -hmm. right? Essentially let disinformation do its work. I was just on one of my, um, one of the Republican Facebook groups that I follow and someone had posted a, a photo with a caption. It was, it was Bernie Sanders getting arrested in the 70s or something. And I, I think he did that a couple of times. But the caption on the photo was Bernie Sanders throwing, throwing eggs at civil rights activists getting arrested for that. Yeah. And so to, to her credit, the, the woman who posted it then came, took it down a little while later and said, the, okay, so while I realized that that isn't accurate, the, the caption was, was incorrect. The photo's correct. Caption's not correct. And so she took it down. But who know this is in a, in a group of 10,000 people who knows yeah. how many times that got shared before yeah. someone realized that this this was totally fake mm-hmm. well and that's that's an easily googleable piece of information <laughs> yes. like, it would take you next to no time to say hey this is i didn't realize bernie sanders got arrested just google what did bernie sanders get arrested for and that's you can very quickly see what's going exactly. on exactly yeah. and that we're but i feel like we're at the point just and not as one party or another but i feel like people in general don't yet have their bs detectors tuned mm. in enough to where the majority of the people will look at that and just be like what a terrible guy. Like, right. he, I can't believe he was throwing eggs at civil rights protesters. Yeah. Well, that's why I think it's so important, too, because experts, like social media experts, are deceived not too many percentage points differently from someone who normally uses social media. So there are, of course, stories like that. Where you're like, obviously, like, really, Bernie? Did you really? But a lot of the time, it is harder to detect than you think. So that's actually exactly what causes the continual spread of disinformation, mm-hmm. because we all think that we can tell, right? We all think that we're the ones who actually have a good idea of what stories are on our feeds or not. Before we go too much further, yeah. sorry, the person who posted it is a friend of mine and she may listen to this. So I, I think she she did very much mean well and was not trying sure. to spread false information, but just how easily it can, how it can, how it can trap you and how yes. you, you see something and you immediately have a reaction to it and you just don't even think and repost it. And exactly. I, I don't think at all she was malicious. And no, and we all have kind of different sensors, right? So we might be really mm-hmm. good at determining a certain kind of post that comes on our feed, but not necessarily something else. Yeah. So it's that we're all susceptible and that's what we really need to lay the groundwork on if we're going to make any progress. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I probably should have emailed this to you guys before we did this chat, but oh, there no. was, <laughs> I are throwing something new at you. Okay. Darn it, no, I, there was a, uh, you guys are familiar with the publication Babylon B. 
Oh yeah. yes. So yes. there was a for <laughs> listeners who might not know, it's it's like a version of the Onion that it like writes Christian news, satire. Yes, news stories that seem like they could be true, but they're obviously like fabricated and with the intention of being funny. Mm-hmm. And Snopes of all places, Snopes fact checked a Babylon Bee article, and it's like. <laughs> This is it's it's intentionally supposed to be satirical, like it's intentionally supposed to be outlandish. Right. And Snopes, right. Snopes themselves is like, so this is close enough. Like we should we should dive in and look at this. It's like, nope. Turns out this article isn't true. <laughs> and it's just like, but that's the thing. Some people need that. Yeah, because well, they see, true, right. They'll yeah, see the article true. and they'll think it's true. There was oh, did did you guys see a couple years ago Kim Jong Un? It was there was a story a story on the Onion that Kim Jong Un was voted like the world's handsomest leader or I something think like I that. Saw that. <laughs> and yeah. North Korea, like and he actually like he posted that and like was telling like people in North Korea is like oh, I'm the handsomest. <laughs> yeah. Not really. One of my favorite one of my favorite stories like that. <laughs> yes, was when. There's this, I don't remember who it was, but this alt-right social media young guy, like college guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was a, a, some kind of social media or a disinformation specialist started studying him because they kept tracking a lot of fake news stories or disinformation, misinformation stories back to him. And so there was this big graph, right? This big kind of amalgamation of all these different lines pointing back to his account and he posted that the snapshot of the data analysis on his Twitter feed because he's like, wow, it looks like everything does lead back to me. <laughs> and the journalist Whoops. who was in a head, like a head, like the head of conducting the research commented explaining that this, this is all disinformation yeah. that's leading back to you. It was wow. golden. Beautiful. Wow. Oh man, that's gorgeous. Yeah. So I just something I'd like y'all's opinions on is Prior to the rise of fake news, misinformation, disinformation, at least not prior to the rise of it occurring, but prior to the rise of it being something that people would discuss in popular culture, this Mm -hmm. has been a soapbox speech of mine for a while, is I think part of the reason the parties move farther apart and part of the reason that it's so much easier for people to lob bombs at each other and be flamethrowers and whatever Mm -hmm. is people increasingly have moved away from getting their news from... CBS mm-hmm. Evening News and NBC Evening News, your newspaper, the New York Times, whatever, and more towards Fox News, Breitbart, or on the left, MSNBC and Huffington Post and whatever, and sources that are factual or not that determine what they report on based on their perceived audience. And they know if they're perceived as a conservative site, they want to talk about things that make conservatives look good. If they're a liberal site, they want to talk about things that make liberals look good. And it's how you frame it too. Like you can take mm-hmm. a factually accurate statement from either one of any of those sites and, and find nothing factually incorrect about it. And yet the way they've spun it can make it look in one direction or the other. And that's really interesting because in most of the definitions of disinformation that I came across, it's not just with the intent to deceive, but the intent to deceive or mislead mm-hmm. as well, which is a big issue then. And that's where I would take issue sometimes with especially um, more of the polarized news cycles mm-hmm. as well, because it can really mislead what you're reading. It might be the fact is correct, but how they're pitching it is not. Yeah. Well, exactly. and that's it. Things, things get taken out of context. It's like you could have a picture of Bernie Sanders getting arrested and like... Maybe he was protesting with civil rights people, but if sure. then as soon as you put the caption of like he was throwing eggs or whatever it was, yeah. Now it's yeah. like now it's a whole other ball game, and I, for me at least, that's been a thing for a while. Of if we're not all working from the same set of facts, mm-hmm. we're not all working with the same information, and you see it one way and I see it the other way, working with two separate sets of information, mm-hmm. and now you get some just super polarizing figures because. Right. 
Fox News's business model is not to give you the news, it's to sell advertising and they're going to yeah. do what it takes to sell advertising. So if you get some bombastic congressman on there, that's how that congressman knows how to get publicity. It's all about engagements. Yeah. Right? It's all about engagements. To throw a little bit of communication. I just got married. Theory. I would know. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, to throw a little bit of communication theory at you as well, just for kicks and giggles. Oh, listeners, Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the more studies that have been done about disinformation and misinformation, the more we've found, and this is the same trend that we've kind of always had, is it's kind of an association theory. So if I, okay, there's this pen on the table here. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you, that this pen was unethically made. Okay. okay. And not just unethically made, but like in horrible, horrible conditions. And you shouldn't touch the ink in it because it's not safe. Okay. All right. That might be, I literally just made all of that up. But what we keep finding is that after I tell you that, even if you know that's true, and I said, now I'm telling you, actually, that's not true. You are least disposed to like this pen afterwards. Hmm. So even if there's some kind of article that goes up that is, incorrect it's false and then you find out later that it is false even after you believed it or if you didn't believe it that still actually moves you it still actually kind of creates a reaction to that and it makes you not like it or like it more i've actually heard of in a courtroom setting that Mm -hmm. tactic being used of a trial lawyer will say something that he knows will be get thrown out and then it is objection, you know, disregard, jury, mm-hmm. ignore what, what you just heard, but they don't. They still don't. Is gonna it linger. still lingers. Yeah. Right. And so even if it was factually incorrect, it was not admissible in court, it still sticks in the head of the jury and t- taints them toward whether innocent or guilt. And that's why yeah. it becomes more of a question than just, oh, fact check as well. Because fact checking is great, but you're still going to be slowly kind of over time manipulated really is what it is manipulation by the stories that you see that aren't true so going forward it sounds like that's one policy prescription my thought and i'd be curious to to hear what you guys think about this one my thought would be read something that if you if you're a libertarian read something that's socialist if Mm -hmm. you're a republican read something democrat like read something from the other side just to just kind of check yourself if it's about the same thing about different things like whatever but just to have that other point of view i listen to npr on the way to work every day just specifically for that because i know that a lot of what i get is right leaning and so there we go all right james (laughs) step in the right direction i like like doing my best No, and I think that might be a really good way to combat it as well. And I think that's valuable no matter if you're trying to specifically like go after disinformation or not. Because I think that will help us check our biases no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. It's been a little while, but I used to be pretty religious about checking real clear politics. But mm-hmm. I would find myself, as soon as I see like, ooh, this article has an interesting headline. Ooh, but it's from somebody in the nation. Or like, yeah. ooh, it's from somebody like... Uh, who's Paul Krugman is like, oh, I don't like him. Like, I'm not going to read. I don't care what he has to say. I don't like sure. he's yeah. going to be weird. anyway. I don't like this. <laughs> and so it's just like, so I would just, and it took like years of me doing this. And then I was just like, that's exactly the wrong way of thinking about it. Like, mm-hmm. read it. And still, if you disagree, you disagree. Or if there's something in there that you're like, wait, I feel like that's not right. Like, let me go check a white paper or something like that on my own. But at least now you've gone through and had that background versus just saying like, I'm just not going to read anything. from Right. And that's exactly what perpetuates echo chambers, too. Mm-hmm. Precisely that kind of attitude of like, well, I'm interested in reading this, not interested in reading that. And I think that's a big pitfall of social media as well, because we don't get our newspaper with all of the stories in it, because mm-hmm. you'll still kind of see all the stories, even though you might select a couple. But on social media, you can literally select only the top ones that pique your interest most. 
And it's always crazy Uncle Jimmy that's like racist, (laughs) xenophobe, (laughs) MAGA. Like he's the guy who posts everything. And then just the three of us are just like. And the things that you interact with are then the things that get recycled on your feed because the algorithms know what you like. And because they're selling ads, they're selling engagement, they're not Mm -hmm. selling truth. Does either of you have an, an Uncle Jimmy? I no, don't have one. But I, don't, if, I don't. have, Do you have dozens an Uncle Jim? to spare. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, if, if, if like you have an actual Uncle Jim, if any of us has actual Uncle Jims, I'm sorry, I didn't mean any offense. No. You were a stand-in for a caricature there. Yeah, yes. yeah, for yes. sure. I'm gonna bait you a little bit. Okay. You, in your, in your, uh, some of the stuff we talked, we shared ahead of time. You, you were looking at maybe finding social media companies or maybe more government involvement? Yeah, 48 countries across the globe have already started some kind of regulation for the social media. And before everyone goes up in flames, a lot of the time this is actually, like not having regulation for a media platform is a new thing. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we're just starting to impose. Because basically until Facebook, social media companies were responsible for the kind of content that they promoted. Just the same way as a news agency is responsible for if what they're promoting is true or not. So actually, Facebook has gotten around basically all of the loopholes. Well, it's gone through all the loopholes so that they don't have to hold themselves accountable. And it's all for the money. That's how they're structured. They're structured off algorithms. And they've been hiding behind kind of the idea of free speech. And I do believe in free speech, obviously. I'm American. But... The idea that we could find social media companies for circulating things that are false could actually finally kind of hit back against the algorithms that are constantly catering to sensational and to often untimes untrue, and they're being manipulated by a lot of disinformation firms. So it's kind of one way to get at the root of it. So I would say in your traditional media, when you ever see a political ad, it always says funded by you know so-and-so, paid for by friends of so-and-so. Only recently. It didn't well, used to be that way, yeah. My my point though is everything that's coming across on traditional media is, is curated and done specifically. Whereas on social media, Uncle Jimmy reposts something from Poor guy. you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, all Jims. <laughs> reposts something from Hillary did nine eleven dot net, mm-hmm. and <laughs> is that, a real that was website? a joke? No, that was okay, a joke. Was gonna, that was a joke. Somebody's going to register and, that domain now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad example, but um like memes and just like random user generated content. Um, how do you determine what's, what's fake and what's not? You know, we, we already talked about how you can take something that's totally factual as in the Covington case and just the, the context he presented in can be totally misleading. So who's, who's to decide this what? This is a perfect wraparound yeah. <laughs> actually to the beginning. So going back to those definitions of disinformation and misinformation, mm-hmm. I per- and this is just my personal view, I believe if we're targeting disinformation specifically, that means that we'll actually be going to the sources of where these false articles are coming from, right? So it may not be that targeting the individual who's reposting something, misinformation, mm-hmm. is the way to go. It might be more that finding where these are coming from because we can track basically any post, how it gets shared right. and where it's shared from. So if you can track it back to the source of it and find out where that comes from, it might be a very effective way of targeting. There's actually one veteran who is doing this himself. He has his own business. Actually, I don't know if it's a business or just a, a project that's his own, but he does this for a lot of veteran groups on Facebook because we have a lot of disinformation firms from the Middle East that mm-hmm. target specifically our veteran communities. Yeah. And what they do is they'll set up one Facebook page that's alt-right, 
really scary. And then they'll set up a leftist Facebook page that's alt-left, really scary, and then pit themselves purposefully against each other. And that's where we get things like Charlottesville. So this guy that's been tracking all of these different sources of disinformation keeps reporting them to Facebook. Facebook isn't doing much about it. He's reported hundreds of different sources that are pretty much undeniably disinformation uh, mines in, like, targeted at U.S. citizens. But Facebook still kind of adheres. They've only taken down about 9 to 12 of them out of hmm. the hundreds that he's reported. So when we're looking at those kind of things that are really stark, I think there can be a solution in those. So I don't think that we should be chasing down everyone's grandma right. saying, you know, oh, that meme you posted, that's false. I think it's really more of a systemic issue where we need to be targeting disinformation, which really is often qualified as a psychological warfare onto our own American citizens. Yeah. So what we're, what we're currently doing is kind of putting some political pressure on the social media companies to, to do this. So you're, you're suggesting maybe you take a more active governmental approach mm -hmm. to, to doing that. Yeah. Specifically in fines. If, for example, you could put, and this is just a very theoretical idea, you could put a time limit on maybe after some kind of disinformation source is reported, mm -hmm. maybe put a time limit on Facebook or whatever, Twitter, to see how long it takes them to take them down or to start an investigation into it. I feel like that's an interesting thought because I, as a, initially as a conservative, as somebody who leans to the right, my reaction is to say, no, yes. don't, no government, yeah. don't do it. Companies can do whatever. But we already, we do have legal protections in this country. Like right. if you are in advertising, you can't legally say here, if you drink this wine, your, I don't, you know, your bank account will grow with four more zeros at the end of it. Or like your, your wife is going to get super hot or your car is going to get really fast. You right. can't legally say that unless you can scientifically prove that drinking wine makes mm -hmm. your car go faster, you know, whatever the claim is. Whereas like I've, I've seen infomercials in other countries where it's, you know, there's like, take this, take extends or whatever. And like, you'll, <laughs> not, now you'll own a yacht. And it's just like, whoa, cool. this is great. Yeah. And it's, and you, can, and you can make those claims until people are sitting there watching. It's just like, I would like a yacht. I, I should spend a couple bucks on these pills or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like that's not markedly different from what it is that we're talking about doing here. If we outlaw blatant false advertising, mm -hmm. if we outlaw the advertising of a product that does not do what the company says it's trying to do in its commercials and the efforts to buy something, you know, to encourage people to buy it. That's not too much of a stretch to outlaw somebody from Facebook saying, right. Hey, like if there is something that somebody posts that is objectively false and is objectively hateful and insightful, it's incumbent on you to take it down. It's not necessarily incumbent on each individual user to just be like, this seems racist. Right. I shouldn't click on this story. Oh, and it just it just shouldn't be there in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And I really do believe that it's no longer a matter of protecting democracy from free speech. I think that democracy has basically been manipulated and is under attack and is suffering already. And so mm. it's not how do we keep free speech, but it's how do we protect what we can of democracy yeah. in a bigger idea? Because maybe, maybe free speech is not the end all. To democracy, and I'm probably oh my, I feel scared for saying that. Um, but really, truly, if you look at a number of other nations as well, they recognize this as a threat, and they've done something about it. And I think because free speech is something that we get so riled up about, we're not really willing, oftentimes, to look at 
maybe potentially this is something that should be limited in specific cases when it's threatening not like not just the abstract idea of democracy, but pitting vectoring groups against each other with this express purpose of causing violence. That's just unacceptable. And I think you're probably right that a lot of this is coming from a few isolated sources. It's not the people who are falling for it are not the source of the information. Most I would I would guess. I don't Generally, have any yeah, I don't have I would, any data on that, but probably disinformation is being generated by someone and that someone we can target that someone, not necessarily, again, your, your crazy friends who post whatever they see on, on Facebook. Right. Uncle um, Jimmy. And again, Uncle that Jimmy. doesn't necessarily solve the issue. It's sure. not a fatal save, but it might be. And the reason it's not a fatal save is because you're still having that spread of disinformation and misinformation, right? You're still biased against the pen that I mm -hmm. just am holding right now. I'm sorry right. for your pen. <laughs> um, but it does at least help. And I think it's at least a step in the right direction that might be something people on both sides could get behind. Sure. So the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap this up is vaccines. So for those Everybody's who are favorite topic, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so for those of us, who, for those of you who are God not bless. in the Northwest or have been living under a rock, uh, we have had a measles outbreak in the Northwest mm -hmm. recently due primarily to people not vaccinating their kids. So from what I've read, it takes about a 90% immunization rate to create a herd immunity, which basically protects the 10% who are unvaccinated. And I think the, the number I read was 78% of people in Clark County, Washington, where the outbreak was, were vaccinated. So well below the 90% required. And so there's so much anti-vax sentiment on Facebook. and the result is people are afraid of vaccines. They're afraid of the kids getting autism. They're, they're just, they don't like getting injected with chemicals, which, you know, I get. But the result is there are people of the, of within the population, which we were just talking about cancer patients, yes. um, children under the age of 15 months, which I believe is when you can get the MMR vaccine. So young children, cancer patients, people with immune disorders who are especially susceptible to this who are maybe not able to get vaccinated it's are now not just in danger. that they can't get vaccinated it's that they can't get their treatment because they can't go to mm. hospitals because a lot of people who haven't been vaccinated or do have measles now right. are contaminating the hospitals right so they can't even go so if you have a cancer treatment who is in treatment they cannot participate they cannot continue their treatment right now yeah i i posted something about vaccines uh on facebook a little bit, a bit ago and a friend who whose son had a severe allergic reaction or some sort of reaction to the vaccine came on and, and hmm. talked about how, how she wished she had never gotten a vaccine. And I didn't think about it at the time. And of course, arguing with a mother who just had a, her, yeah. her baby almost died was yeah. not, you know, in my best interest. Not, yeah, no. uh, <laughs> but that is, I think that is the exact reason why it is so important to get your kids vaccinated if they're able to, yes. because there are children like that who I think it's an immune disorder that he had who he shouldn't have been vaccinated, mm -hmm. but he still needs to be protected. And it's that herd immunity that would have protected him. And are you familiar with the original study that linked vaccines to autism? Yeah, totally debunked. Okay. I think we should talk about that a little bit just okay. to show how bad the original study actually was. And by bad, I mean, it just was not a scientific or academic. So I, I don't know the details study. of it. All I know is that it was mm -hmm. thoroughly debunked. The guy was like stripped of his medical license. Yes. Um, Everyone else associated with retracted their names. 
yeah. as well. Wow. And so just, just to highlight a couple of the issues with the study, his focus group of people that he actually studied themselves were all hand-selected, hmm. which is a huge issue if it's right. talked about as a randomized study. I think roughly half, if I'm recalling remember, correctly, of the people with autism that he was studying I can't remember exactly which way it went now. It's eluding me. But either hadn't shown autistic signs, symptoms before, mm. or um, they did an, after some other event. So it wasn't even linked at all to vaccines mm. whatsoever. So I think some of them hadn't even been vaccinated wow. that he was using in his study. Wow. And then also, like the people that he used in his study, they went to track them down later. Some of them weren't even the same people. So much of it was fabricated. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other flaws of it. It's been a little bit since I've thought about it. But so, it was, yeah, just totally retracted, completely debunked. It's not systemic at all, not academic research at all. So it was a link where it wasn't been, oh, another one was that he gave, I think it was some kind of a medical procedure to number of the people in the study that he was not licensed to give that can mm. be life-threatening as wow. well. So the guy producing the study that started all of this is not the kind of person that I would say you want to get your, your information from. Right. So I, my personal thought, you know, I, Going into this web, into this podcast, I feel like there are so many issues that are gray area. Very few things are are black and white, and I. But I feel like vaccines, at least to me, is one of the few that is black and white. Like if you are medically able to get a vaccine, you should get a vaccine. You should vaccinate your kids if they're medically able to do so, because it it impacts everyone else. You know, I think it's like I think it's like drunk drunk driving. A lot of the Republicans that I follow on on Facebook are anti-vaxxers. And part of their argument is you should be able to choose your own medical care. You know, this, the government getting in and telling you you need to get vaccines is a, is a breach of your rights. And I kind of get that, but... I feel like that's also a social responsibility. Yeah, when it, when it starts impacting, there's a, a saying, you know, the, my right to swing my fists ends where your face begins. And <laughs> vaccines are... And I'd challenge that a little bit because I don't really want you to sing my face. Like right. your, my face. Oh my gosh. Your fist your into my face or right. close to right. it. But yes. Close to your face. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you make a choice, a medical choice or otherwise that puts other people at risk, I would say that's no longer your choice. That is something that that ought to be required. And you are selfish if you, if you don't for, do it. For what is a minimally invasive, minimal costing, like this isn't like... We were requiring everybody to go out and buy Ferraris or something like that. Right. Like that's it, that's not the kind of influence that the government's trying to exert. This is a very simple mm-hmm. solution to a very difficult problem, and I think that's you know we're we're rational Republicans. We're still Republicans. We yeah. want people to be able to choose things for themselves, Absolutely. certainly. But we, I think at least I personally believe that there is a reason we have a federal government and a strong mm-hmm. one, especially in terms of national defense. It's for it's for stuff like this. It's so that they can come back and say, "Hey, some guy invented a cure for this, and now it's going to make the whole world better." And if we don't inoculate everybody, we run the risk of descending into you know some kind of like B movie or something like yeah. that, where the world's <laughs> ending because half the people are dying because you didn't do something stupid like get a little shot that cost you I don't know five dollars well, or something all the time too they it. advertise free flu shots there you go yeah i yeah at the university that i go to we actually got an email from 
from the authorities saying that we had to have an immunization or we could no longer come to campus, mm -hmm. which was a pretty stark line. And I, yeah. when I received that email, I kind of thought, whoa, that's pretty stark. But the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. They're already providing the vaccines and we need to keep people on our campus safe as well. Yeah. You can't have students literally, like you, you can literally risk someone else's life or yeah. your own life. And measles no. is I, I fairly, fairly tame compared to like polio or yes. smallpox. Mm -hmm. Is just, you know, imagine if one of those came back and anyway, all preventable, all preventable by getting a little shot. Get yeah. your shots. Vote Republican. Disinformation is real, folks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Very all well All about timed. timing. Yes. Thank you. All right. On that note, I think it's time to end. Thank you all for listening. You can visit our website at jamesaball.com. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Just search The Rational Republican, and we will see you next time.